Heavenly Father, we come before you and confess once more that we are evildoers. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And so, Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit now, that you may teach us to keep your commands. Oh, Lord, we see again and again that we fail. We need your Holy Spirit this morning if we are to live according to your ways. And so, Lord, we pray that you would indeed send him to us now. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we pick up again our series in 1 Samuel, and we've been looking at 1 Samuel and how the first king of Israel behaved, uh, Saul. Uh, we saw how uh, he was the one who was to establish uh, the monarchy after Samuel, the last of the pro- uh, prophets and judges, uh, well, not last of the prophets, I should say, the last judge of Israel, uh, which had been set up when the Israelites came out of Egypt. They entered into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Then they had a series of judges who God would raise up, but they had no united monarchy. They had no king, and so they requested this king, and we've seen how they requested this king of Samuel, uh, the prophet, and then we saw, we've seen again and again, particularly Saul's failures to be this first king of Israel in accordance with the Lord's will. And so Samuel here comes as a prophet to Saul and gives him another instruction from the Lord, and that is to put to death the Amalekites. And this is one of those parts of scripture which Christians need to understand why it is in the Bible. Because this part of scripture, as we look at how the Amalekites are to be destroyed, causes concern for unbelievers and believers. When we look at the instruction from God in verse 3, what does he say to Saul via the prophet Samuel? Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, generally speaking, you will still also have a problem or some concern with this passage of Scripture. And if you speak to unbelievers who have read the Bible even uh, in a cursory way, often they will bring up this passage of Scripture as a reason not to believe in the God of the Bible, the God who wrote the Old Testament and the New. I've had uh, unbelievers speak to me about passages like this. And they say, look at your God and the way he acts. How could you worship such a God who can command the death of women and children and infants and even these animals that belong to the Amalekites? So we have to ask the question, why would God command this? Why would God ask Saul and the other Israelites to do this so many years ago? Well, the reason for this destruction of the Amalekites is not a genocide, which is what some people like to say about this, that here's an example of genocide from the Israelites and from the God of Israel so many years ago. He just does not like the Amalekites, and so he wants them wiped out. But that's not true. Why are they put to death? Well, the reason is given in the text. It's the punishment for sin. We see that in verse 2. What was the sin that the Amalekites started to be punished for? It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. As I said before, many years earlier, the Israelites had come out of Egypt, and as they were traveling to the promised land, they had different uh, 
uh, skirmishes, I guess you could say, different battles that went on with other nations even before they came into the Promised Land. And one of the first was with the Amalekites. And we can look at that account back in Exodus chapter 17. Turn with me there now so you can see what the Amalekites did, which warranted God's punishment of them many years later. Exodus chapter 17 is found on page one, uh, 115, no, 100 and, uh, sorry, I'm looking at Leviticus. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible, page 71. 71. Verse 8. So the Israelites have come up out of Egypt in Exodus, and we read in verse 8 of chapter 17, chapter 17, verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. They came and they attacked the Israelites. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. When the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Here we see the action of the Amalekites coming against Israel, and we see how Joshua was used to punish the Amalekite army at the time, just the army, and how God also used Moses in prayer uh, so that Joshua was able to overcome them, that it was a victory to the Lord, uh, not to the Israelite army. But you may say, oh, but is it really that bad what they did? Well, if we look at Deuteronomy 25, which also gives us some information about this attack from the Amalekites, we see how serious their actions of the Amalekite army was. Deuteronomy chapter 25, which is page 195, 195 of your church Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 25, and I'll read from verse 17, where this is Moses uh, again uh, giving an account. This is the second giving of the law to the Israelites as they come into the promised land. And it says in verse 17, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off. Who did they cut off? All who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. This, of course, is many years earlier from the 1 Samuel 15 passage that we're looking at today. But here we see what they did. They didn't just come against the army of Israel. They came at the people who were lagging behind at the back of the pack, so to speak, of the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. Who would that normally be? Who lags behind when you go on a family trip somewhere? It's the children and the mum who usually lags behind because of the children and elderly people who can't move as fast as everybody else. Who are the Amalekites attacking? They're attacking the weak people at the back of the pack of the Israelites. They were like wolves who come in and get the weak ones at the back of a pack of animals. 
And they were audacious. You see the way that uh, Moses speaks about them. Uh, they had no fear of God, it says in verse 18. Even after people knew what God had done to the Egyptians, and we see that when the Israelites enter into the promised land, people are quaking in fear. They know what God is capable of, but they still attacked like wolves who can see the stick, they can hear, see the guns, but they still keep coming and attacking the weak ones. It was audacious what they did. It was exceedingly sinful what the Amalekites did. And that wasn't the only time the Amalekites sinned against the people of Israel and attacked them. We see in Numbers chapter 14 that the Amalekites attacked Israel when they tried to get into the promised land for the first time. Um, They went without Moses' blessing. After they didn't want to go in, they decided, oh, yes, we do want to go in. And it was the Amalekites who attacked the Israelites and spurned them from the land. And also we see in Judges chapter 3 and Judges chapter 6 that the Amalekites made alliances with Israel's enemies. You can read those this afternoon if you like. And you can see how the Amalekites again and again and again were enemies of God's people and attacked them. So why did God bring about the destruction of the Amalekites? To show his judgment of sin. We see that the Kenites, in comparison, are given a free pass. Did you notice that in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that there's another nation that's there that are not wiped out, that Saul says to them, move away from the Amalekites. In chapter 15, verse 6, then uh, he, that Saul, said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. Why would he show uh, kindness to them and spare them? Is this genocide? No. What does it say in verse 6? For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. When they came up out of Egypt, the Israelites, the Kenites, showed kindness to them. And so they are not punished. And so the judgment of sin is shown here in 1 Samuel 15. And we see how the judgment of sin brings pain not just upon those who have sinned, but also on others around those who have sinned. And that includes children as we see in 1 Samuel 15. Similar to a baby being born with fetal alcohol syndrome because of a mother's addiction to alcohol, we see pain coming upon the Amalekites and even upon animals. Just as we see that animals can be destroyed because of the sin of humans, as you consider maybe a corrupt uh, owner of an oil tanker and how he doesn't get the tanker repaired, he doesn't keep to regulations, and it ends up in an oil spill, and many sea animals die as a result, it is because of sin that destruction of animals comes about. A modern equivalent to what we see here in 1 Samuel 15 would be the use of nuclear bombs against Japan in the Second World War. The Japanese attacked an unsuspecting Pearl Harbor and continued to attack the U.S., until the United States dropped two bombs, despite women, children, and animals being in those cities. The sin of the nation had led to indiscriminate destruction and suffering within those cities. And this is not the only kind of judgment that we see from God in the pages of Scripture. You need to be prepared for this when someone brings it up, an unbeliever or a very concerned believer. But it comes up in other places as well. Just consider Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, which comes in the book of Joshua, which is a more common one. I don't think unbelievers would bring up uh, the destruction of the Amalekites as often as they'd bring up the destruction of Jericho, where children were put to death as well. It was a complete destruction of animals. And if we consider Noah's flood... Go back to Genesis. 
what happens? The whole world is covered with water. Children, women, animals, because man was exceedingly evil, as we read in Genesis chapter 6. And then when we consider it, all pain, all suffering in this world, why is it there? Why do children suffer? Why are infants born with great suffering? It's because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, which has come down and spread the judgment of God on that sin has spread over all the earth. And continued actual sin of people continues to bring about God's judgment in this world upon women and children and animals around us even today. And all suffering is here. Why is it here? It's ultimately to point us to the final judgment one day. As we read in Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, where there will be complete destruction of the whole earth. Turn with me there again, page 1206. Page 1206. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, which we read before. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare except the women and children and the animals. No, everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. All the suffering that we experience, all the expressions of suffering that we read in the scriptures, like the Amalekite destruction, what is the point of it all? It is to point us to the final judgment that is to come and cause us to flee for safety from that judgment that is coming. The pain that we experience in this world is nothing in comparison to the pain that comes on the disobedient in the next life. And this should cause us all to shudder as we hear this because we have all sinned against God. We've all behaved as the Amalekites have. What did the Amalekites do? They attacked the people of God. How often have we attacked the people of God? How often have we made snide remarks about other Christians or even about the Son of God himself? We should all shudder as we consider that there is a final judgment coming that far exceeds all the suffering and pain that can be recorded in Scripture and that is experienced in the world even as we know it now. God's Spirit warned the Amalekites many years ago that they would be punished for their sin. We saw that in Exodus chapter 17. We saw it in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And even the false prophet Balaam, son of Baor, in Numbers, he said Amalek was first among the nations, but he will come to ruin at last. It was again and again that this warning was given. But the Amalekites did not heed the warning. We need to heed the Spirit's warning in Scripture and make sure that we do what Peter says there, that we are found spotless in verse 14, blameless and at peace with God. We should see every type of suffering as a signpost pointing to the need to be right with God, to avoid that exceedingly great pain that will be administered 
at the final judgment for those who have rebelled against God, who have hurt the person of God, who have hurt the Lord Jesus Christ. The Amalekites did not repent, but we need to see the foolishness of the Amalekites and repent. But how do we have peace with God? How do we make sure that we are found spotless and blameless on that day? What is the way to be found spotless? Well, God has given us a way of peace through his son, Jesus Christ. God's son, the Lord Jesus, came and lived a perfectly sinless life. And then he died the death that all sinners who believe in him deserve. Jesus Christ took the blast of the nuclear bombs of God's wrath again and again and again at the cross And yet he was able to rise again as the son of God. He was able to make full atonement at the cross for those who trust in him. So if you're not a believer and you're here this morning, I want you to see the seriousness of sin in God's judgment of the Amalekites. See the seriousness of sin. See it in the people of Jericho who were destroyed. See it in the people who were destroyed by the flood. See it in every form of suffering you've ever witnessed in your life. See the seriousness of sin in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ at the cross. Many feel sorry for Jesus, but there are many who feel more sorry for the sinful Amalekite children, whereas Jesus was sinless. They had original sin and many of them had actual sin, but Jesus is sinless. Feel sorry for Jesus more than you feel sorry for the Amalekite animals. Jesus is far more valuable than any animal that was ever destroyed. I know many who will mourn for Amalekite children and animals, but not mourn for Christ, who is sinless and far more valuable than any animal. Don't get stuck on the Amalekite children and animals. They died to point you to Christ and his love in being willing to take the punishment that you deserve just as any as much as any Amalekite. Have Jesus bear the blast of the bomb of God's wrath for you before it sweeps you away, along with everything else you own. In the Encyclopedia Britannica, I learned this week about Saar Bomber. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it, or Bomba. It's a, it was a Soviet thermonuclear bomb that was detonated in a test over an island in the Arctic Ocean in 1961. The largest nuclear weapon ever to be set off, and it produced the most powerful human-made explosion ever recorded. It was estimated to be about 3,800 times the strength of the U.S. bomb dropped on Hiroshima during World War II. So think of how much you hear about Hiroshima. This one was 3,800 times more powerful. An uninhabited village 55 kilometres from ground zero was levelled and buildings more than 160 kilometres away were reportedly damaged. In addition, it was estimated that heat from the blast would have caused third-degree burns up to 100 kilometres distant. So if that bomb was dropped over Sydney, if you're in Katoomba, you're still getting third-degree burns. Huge blast the biggest blast ever made by man in this world. But that bomb is nothing in comparison to what is coming in God's wrath 
to sinners. Yet Jesus will be your bomb shelter. He's made an offer if you will simply come in repentance and faith to him today. Then you will be found spotless and blameless and at peace with God because you're in the spotless and blameless one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't presume that God will be patient with you. And so plan to enter the bomb shelter that is Jesus Christ tomorrow or maybe the day after that. Sometimes there's a long delay before God brings about his destruction. And with the Amalekites, it was years and years and years before he brought about the destruction under King Saul. But sometimes there's not a long delay. Today is a day of salvation. We don't know if tomorrow will be. Today, Jesus opens the doors of his bomb shelter wide and welcomes you to come in. To tomorrow, the doors may be closed and there'll be no opportunity to withstand the blast of God's wrath. Enter today by repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus Christ. And Christians, don't shrink back from the seriousness of sin and the serious judgment of God for it when you read passages like 1 Samuel chapter 15. We see in Saul's failure, which we'll look at in coming weeks, to bring about the total eradication of the Amalekites, that that stands as a warning for us as well, that we shouldn't shrink back from seeing the seriousness of the sin of the Amalekites and sin in general and God's judgment of it. Who has a problem ultimately with 1 Samuel 15? Only those who don't see the sinfulness of sin. We like to think that sin isn't really that bad. That really the Amalekites didn't deserve it. We don't see the seriousness of sin. Those are the people who have a problem with the passage. God's vengeance on the Amalekites was perfectly just. The Amalekites were an unholy people. And God's vengeance on all mankind is perfectly just as well. All mankind are an unholy people. We all deserve far more pain than we receive in this world. So we should be accepting that the punishment of the wicked is certain and just. We don't need to go on a holy war. That was a particular time, particular place for Saul to administer God's justice. We know that God will administer his justice on Judgment Day. And we leave that in his hands. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to see the seriousness of sin and God's serious judgment that is coming on sin and then go on a rescue mission instead. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The Kenites were spared as righteous people. And the Israelites were spared. And many of us in this room have been spared from the judgment of God against our serious sin. Not because we deserve it, We've been spared? No, it's all been by God's mercy through Jesus Christ. But So we know salvation is possible. We see it in Scripture. We see it in our lives. But we must remember that atonement is limited. The atonement that Christ offers is limited. It's limited to those who come into Christ, to those who believe in him, to those who are repentant of their sins. And so we must open our mouths and tell others about the bomb shelter that is available. Tell them about the coming wrath. 
but also tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he took the blast of God's wrath at the cross and he took it for them too if they will simply come in repentance and faith. Find a joy in helping people to escape the destruction that they deserve. You may be even able to save whole families. You think of the Amalekites there. You see the families that were destroyed. Look around you and see the families that you know that are going to be swept away by God's wrath. And find joy in rescuing them, telling them the way of salvation so they too can be saved. This week, who are you going to set about rescuing from the wrath of God against the sinfulness of sin? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a holy and just and righteous God. Forgive us for not seeing sin as seriously as you do. And so often, O Lord, our minds want to think that your wrath is unfair. O Lord, we pray that we would continue to remember to see sin as you do. And to thank you for sending Jesus to bear the blast of your wrath for us who believe. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would not keep this way of salvation that you've granted to us, to ourselves. But instead, oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to proclaim this way of salvation, this bomb shelter that Jesus Christ is, so that many others may hide in Christ and be rescued from the wrath that is to come on the last day. And we pray this in his name. Amen.